Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to the Marix podcast and this episode on open source data and contemporary research on Chinese politics and society. My name is Jonas Schneider and today I'm joined by Emil Dirks. Emil Dirks is a PhD candidate in the Department of Political Science at the University of Toronto and a Futures Fellow here at Marix. His research focuses on China's civil society, human rights, censorship and state surveillance. He was formerly a research associate with the London School of Economics and Political Science and regularly works as an independent research consultant for various organizations. Emil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. In recent years, it has become increasingly difficult for foreign researchers to access China and even more difficult to conduct any kind of critical field research. One of the few channels for empirical data that is left to China watches is open source data which has become an essential resource, especially on politically more sensitive topics. Open source, in this case, refers to, in a rough sense, information that is available to the general public. In research, this usually refers to sources like public websites, social media, public governmental information, or even satellite data. In this podcast, we want to give a quick introduction to open source data in China research, how it works, why it matters, and what it means for the future of China watching. Emil. You work a lot with open source data in your research on China. You created, for instance, the China Drug Crime Detention Database, an extensive collection of open source resources on crime and the judiciary in China. And in 2020, you published a report with the Australian Strategic Policy Institute on genomic surveillance in China, detailing findings about the Chinese government's forensic DNA database. What is the importance of open source data in your research? And why do you rely on it instead of traditional field research? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons I make use of open source data is that it's available. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm in Toronto or Berlin or anywhere else. As long as I have a computer and internet access, I can access primary sources. Uh, these sources may be Chinese government websites or they may be social media posts on platforms like Weibo or WeChat. Uh, they may be Chinese government procurement documents or patent applications, or they could be commercial websites. Anything that can be accessed by a, a simple keyword search online is a potential data source. And I think the ease of finding those sources is what it makes, what makes it attractive to people such as myself. Open source research has certainly been helpful during the pandemic when international travel has been restricted, uh, but it's been my preferred research strategy for years before then too. Um, Personally, I, I often like the solitary nature of the work, and I don't mind spending hours upon hours pouring over material online. Um, I suppose if there is a key to doing this sort of open source research about China, it really comes down to having three things. Uh, one is an ability to read Chinese, especially read Chinese fairly quickly. Um, you also need to be interested in what it is that you're looking for. Uh, and the third thing is you need to have a lot of free time. I think most researchers of China have the language skills and they have the interest, but not everyone is lucky enough to have the time. And I've been very fortunate over the last few years to have all three. How do you search for this kind of open source data? 
especially considering that the Chinese internet is behind the so-called Great Firewall? I suppose that the simple answer and maybe not very satisfying one is that searching for this material online is actually very similar to the way that you'd search for anything online. You're really just using a search engine, be it Google or Baidu or the internal search engines of, again, platforms like uh, Weibo. And you're just putting in keywords and you're seeing what pops up. So basically, the, the guiding principle to doing open source research is having a rough sense of what you're looking for, um, putting in appropriate keywords, and then allowing the results to kind of reorient you in one direction or the other. Basically, it's kind of like panning for gold. You're just, you know, putting a lot of dirt and silt into your, your little pan and shifting it around and seeing what nuggets kind of remain at the end of the day. In terms of what kinds of sources are available, again, it's, it's potentially anything that's out there. Um, so again, speaking for myself and the work that, uh, that I've done, uh, I've tended to use quite a lot of Chinese government websites, um, especially at the local um, district or village level, seeing what pops up there. I've made use of, again, social media posts, sometimes government affiliated ones on platforms like Weibo or WeChat. There are government procurement documents um, that can be accessed quite readily. And there are also corporate websites for um, Chinese companies that, for instance, are involved in creating or selling the material that the uh, Chinese government uses in its domestic surveillance programs. Um, so for me, it's just been a matter of very slowly getting a sense of what kinds of platforms, what kinds of websites or what kind of sources are there and what combination of keywords might be used to find interesting sources. I suppose if I was to give a tip to everyone out there, uh, for people say who are in, interested in conducting uh, open source research of themse uh, for themselves, uh, I would say that one thing I've found is to keep running list of keywords that you found useful while searching for sources, that this is very important. And specifically, keeping a list of variations for a particular term. Uh, this will make it a lot easier in the future when you go looking for material. So, for example, uh, when I and Professor James Leibold were researching the Ministry of Public Security's male DNA data collection program for a report that we did for the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, um, I found that the program was often referred to variously as a male ancestry investigation system, a male DNA collection program, a YSDR DNA collection program, or a male blood collection program. So depending on the source, one or more of these terms can be used. But by routinely searching for all four terms and others, I was able to come across more sources than if I had just searched for one. What types of data can you usually find? Well, again, it, it can be almost anything. You know, if you're looking for material um, on, uh, for instance, crime rates or, or drug use, something that I was interested in uh, when I was doing the China Drug Crime and Detention Database, um, that kind of material would be available through the Bureau of Statistics, Ministry of Justice, right, or other sources. But in other cases, again, it might be a, a Weibo post right, or a WeChat post that's put out by a government-affiliated uh, site. And here, the information that you're getting from that may not be extensive statistical figures, but it may be photographs, right? 
showing the an ongoing, say, police program, right? Um, in other cases, it might be videos that have been posted to video sharing platforms where you can actually see, say, a particular program um, in operation. These may these videos may be shot by government affiliate actors, or they may just be shot by by locals. Same thing with the procurement documents. I mean, these again are another source um, readily available that will provide, say, breakdowns of the kinds of material or services that a government is buying in relation to a particular program. The range of sources is really limited only by kind of what's out there and by your own interest or imagination. Right? So again, I think it requires a certain amount of time just to be able to get a sense of what's there um, and perhaps a certain amount of creativity to think, well, if this particular source is not eliciting the kind of material I'm interested in, might I be able to find something similar from this set of sources? Much of the research conducted on China for open source data is on politically sensitive topics, often revealing information that the Chinese government would probably have preferred not to be made public in this way. How do you find such politically sensitive data? And is it really just open to be accessed by the public as the term open source data suggests? Well, I think that there is a big distinction between, say, sensitive material and secret material. So like governments around the world, there's information that the Chinese government does not release online and which would be impossible to find via open source research methods. However, there is plenty of information out there that is released by the Chinese government or is available on Chinese platforms, um, which is not secret, but does concern topics that the Chinese government may consider sensitive. Um, for instance, the research I and Professor James Label did on the National Police Program of Male DNA Collection. Um, we published the report in 2020. It's been about two years since that report came out and probably almost five years since that particular DNA collection program began. Uh, yet the Chinese government at the national level has not, as far as I know, publicly acknowledged the existence of the program. Certainly it's not been discussed widely in the Chinese press. And yet in total, when we were conducting this research, we were able to find hundreds of online sources detailing uh, the local implementation of this program, sometimes at the district or the village level. Again, these, these sources came from things like social media posts, government affiliated social media posts, local government uh, websites, um, procurement documents. These sources were freely accessible online and could be uncovered via a simple keyword search. And by collecting hundreds of these sources, we were able to create a composite picture of a national surveillance program. Again, a surveillance program that the national level authorities were not openly discussing. For the China Drug Crime and Detention Database, this had evolved out of my own earlier interest in drug policy in China, in particular how the Chinese state both punished users of drugs and provided them with access to harm reduction services. So here, I was beginning just by looking at annual anti-narcotics reports that the Chinese government releases, taking the data that was in these reports and adding them to an Excel spreadsheet. Um, this was data on things like how many registered users of drugs were in China in any given year, how many were detained, how many were taking part in community drug treatment programs, et cetera. Again, the discussion of drug use in China may be sensitive, but it's not secret. So I was able to find immense amounts of data and not only on drug use and the punishment of uses of drugs, I was also able to make use of reports put out by the 
statistics authorities or by the Ministry of Justice to get data on things that hadn't initially interested me, like annual crime rates or how many people were in prison or community corrections in a given year. And soon I was able to compile a huge database with hundreds of categories uh, at the national level, stretching back from uh, to 1990. The biggest challenge I think I ran into was not data being deliberately hidden. It was that the further back in time I went, the harder it was for me to find accurate figures. So data for the last 15 or 20 years was relatively easy to find. But once I started looking for figures on, say, drug use in the early 1990s, it became more difficult. So in this case, I think the issue wasn't so much that the data was sensitive. It was just that the government has gotten better at compiling that information, putting in reports which are publicly available in a way that they, you know, they weren't so adept at in the early 1990s. Whereas with the DNA project, I think there was a deliberate effort to obfuscate the nature of that surveillance program or even its existence at the national level. But by going through dozens and then hundreds of local accounts of this surveillance project, we're able to create, again, a composite picture of a program that was not being discussed at the national level, probably because it was a sensitive topic. It is not uncommon for official data in China to be manipulated, and it's also otherwise hard to judge if an internet source is truthful or not. Considering that in many cases it would be impossible to back up the open source data with field research in China, how do you verify your findings? I think the short answer is that verification requires trying to find as many sources on a given topic as possible. So, for example, when Professor Leibold and I were exploring the male DNA data collection program, if we had found one or two or five posts on social media talking about police collecting male DNA in some village in China, this might have seemed noteworthy or odd, but it wouldn't have necessarily indicated that there was a national program going on. But the more sources we collected from districts and villages across China, and the more procurement documents and corporate websites which uh, we found, which referred to this program uh, directly or indirectly, the more confident we were that what we were looking at was actually a national program of male DNA data collection, not simply isolated instances of male DNA collection in one or two or three villages in China. So one way I think to verify findings as open source researchers is to look for and find as many instances of a phenomena as you can. If there, are, if you can find multiple independent reports discussing a government program, for instance, then it's likely that this program exists. You can be a bit more confident in your findings. I think another way to ensure that your findings are verified is to work with others. So I know I said earlier that I, I enjoy the solitary nature of this work, of open source research work. Um, but I'll say that as much fun as I as it is to do open source research on my own, I think it's always good for me to to find a partner to work with. So when it comes to assessing whether the sources are, as you said, truthful or not, you know, how reliable is the information that you're coming across, I think the key is finding as many sources as you can, but especially making sure that you're in dialogue with other experts or peers in your field. 
as careful a researcher as I as I think I am, I invariably make mistakes. I have my biases. I have my uh, the areas where I'm not as you know uh, knowledgeable. And I think it always helps me to be able to share what I'm finding with others who can then point out what might be the flaws or the weaknesses in my own work. Um, and I think that's one way to potentially correct for either the uh, incompleteness of information online or even potentially the uh, lack of potential lack of truthfulness right, of the sources that one is coming across. Considering that it is unlikely that access to China for foreign researchers will get easier in the near future, open source data might become one of the few channels for empirical data that is left for China watchers. What is the implication of this for contemporary research about China? And can open source data possibly replace field research? So I don't think open source research will ever replace field research. Field work, especially long-term immersive ethnographic fieldwork is vital to a nuanced understanding of China. However, I think that open source research can play a complementary role. This is especially the case when it comes to topics which the Chinese government considers sensitive and which may be hard or impossible for researchers to explore via participant observation, direct interviews, or other in-person methods. I think open source research is also a good option for researchers who no longer feel comfortable or safe traveling to China to conduct research. Again, there are many people who do research on sensitive topics, for instance, on, on Xinjiang uh, or on the persecution of religious minorities um, who, for very understandable reasons, would not want to visit China to conduct that work. However, it's possible that they would still be able to conduct interesting uh, research from outside of the country using open source research methods. And if in the future it becomes or it continues to be difficult for foreign researchers to conduct fieldwork in China, whether due to pandemic restrictions or deepening political authoritarianism in China, then open source research should be seen as an attractive alternative, even to those researchers who might have preferred to do long term fieldwork within the country. I think at the end of the day, all research about China of any sort is aimed at understanding the country and its people and arriving at a more nuanced and sensitive appreciation for China's diversity and complexity. In-person fieldwork is vital to this, um, but I also believe that open source research of the sort that I do and of the sort that many other researchers do also plays a very important role. Thank you very much for your insights, Emil. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, thank you for listening in, and I wish everyone a good day. Stay safe and healthy. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.